Grace, mercy, and peace be multiplied abundantly unto you all through our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We've been talking about suffering uh, and looking at the letter, Peter's first letter to the churches in Asia Minor. A couple weeks ago, we learned from the Word of God, and particularly that letter, that rather than be completely focused on ourselves when we are suffering, we should seek God and seek God and serve God and others. This is, of course, very hard to do and requires strength beyond ourselves. And we learn that only through the help of the Good Shepherd and the suffering servant Jesus Christ can we actually serve. And so Peter says it this way. The end of all things is at hand. Now, we tend to think in terms of days, weeks, months, years, but God thinks in terms of Jesus. That's how God sees history. There's the first coming when Jesus comes and lives and dies for our sin and rises as our Savior. He's coming again to judge the living and the dead and to sentence people to either heaven or hell. And what he says is, since Jesus has died, rose, and returned to heaven, we're now in the last phase of human history, the end. Jesus is coming back. We're all going to give an account. Knowing that, we live then for the last day. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore... The last day is the day you get to go to heaven when all this suffering becomes worthwhile. Knowing the end is in sight, how shall we then live? And he says, therefore be self-controlled. I ask you, is our world lacking self-control? Yes. And how about sober-minded? So first thing Peter says to those who are suffering, in your decision-making, be self-controlled. This doesn't mean to be controlled by the self. Paul tells us in Galatians that part of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So this is enabled by the Holy Spirit. So pray for this. You know what? We live in a world right now where there's a lot of arguments over authority, especially when governments are trying to deal with a pandemic. Some would say, we need less authority. Well, you know what? If we had self-control, we could get away with less authority, couldn't we? If there was self-control in our world, there would be much less need for police officers or bylaw officers. But there is a need because there's little self-control. If there was self-control, we wouldn't need as many prisons. If there was self-control, we wouldn't need as many rehab centers. If there was self-control, we wouldn't need health orders as much as health guidelines. But because there's a lack of self-control, we need those things. 
we won't use them in the kingdom of heaven because everybody will be controlled by the Holy Spirit and they will be under control rather than out of control practicing self-control the best governance is self-control the best police on duty in your life should be God the Holy Spirit to keep you from doing self-destructive things toward yourselves and self-destructive things that also implicate and harm others. Our world lacks self-control right now, and let me just say this. Everybody has a reason for it, it seems. Well, here's what I went through, and here's what I experienced, and here's what I'm feeling, and let me tell you my tragic tale of why I'm out of control. The problem is that can be self-destructing, which is not helping. So, Peter says, be self-controlled, not self-destruction. And he, then he says, he talks not just about the will, but also the mind. And what does he say about the mind? He says, be sober, sober-minded. What's the opposite of sober-minded? Drunk-minded. Have you ever had an argument with a drunk person? How did it go? Just go to social media and ask yourself, self-control, sober-minded? Do you see a lot of that? Where people can re remain anonymous? It's not there. We now live in a world where communication, you add that fact, is instant, constant, global, and permanent. When you're suffering and your feelings are elevated, you just start venting and ranting. Venting and ranting, it's not self-controlled or sober-minded. It's just venting and raging. And then what happens is you're hurt, and so you lash out at others, and then they feel hurt, and then they hurt back. And we have this epidemic of brokenness and emotional people and a lack of self-control and the absence of sober-mindedness. And we're wondering why everyone is depressed and why there seems little hope for the future. So, in the midst of suffering, be self-controlled, sober-minded, and then pray. When you're suffering and when you're hurting, when you're frustrated, when you're emotional, pray. Why? Well, because praying does a couple things. Number one, it helps you verbally process. How many of you are verbal processors? You've got to talk about things in order to feel better. And so in prayer, you can verbally process with the Lord rather than others. And with the Lord is always the safe place to ultimately verbally process. If you want to know what it looks like, just read the book of Psalms. There are places in there and prayers in there where someone is in the midst of terrible suffering. They're feeling it, they're struggling with it, they're fighting through it, and they're talking to God about it. And it helps them to process what they feel. Because oftentimes when we're suffering... We feel it, but we can't explain it. So we need to talk about it so we can get 
some understanding and some categories for it. Now, if you do this with the wrong people, you're not helping things. And don't do this in front of your children. Don't verbally process your feelings in front of your children. You're putting them in a place that only God can handle. They can't handle. You're burdening them with things that they cannot carry. Which is the next point about prayer. Not only do you verbally process in prayer, you also burden transfer. Look at that Bible verse from Matthew. When we're suffering, we've got burdens and they're heavy. You're feeling it. And prayer is where we transfer the burden to Jesus. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come to me. You're weary, worn out, heavy laden, broken and beaten. And he wants us to transfer that burden. Pray and keep praying until the burden has been transferred. If you are not willing to transfer the burden to Jesus, all you end up doing is complaining. Or as Peter calls it, grumbling. We'll talk about that in a bit. And then he goes on to say, In your heart, keep loving one another earnestly. Which implies a couple things. In the midst of our suffering, we are more likely to stop loving others and completely turn in on ourselves. Some lash out at others in their pain and others withdraw. So this directive implies that we quit prematurely. Okay, I love them. I'm done. Now what do I do? No. The Bible says keep on loving one another. It doesn't say like one another. Nope. Because you can't like everybody. And even if you like somebody, you don't like them all the time, right? So liking someone is intermittent, but loving someone can be constant. Liking someone is based upon their conduct, which can be good or bad. But loving someone is based upon God's conduct. God so loved us that we ought to love one another. And what love means is I do what's in their best interest. I don't use them. I serve them. And then he includes this word, which is kind of surprising. Hospitality. Hospitality. I'm suffering here, and God tells me I'm supposed to be hospitable. And really think about that word. Having someone over for supper? No, it's much deeper than that. Hospitality is inviting people into your home for sure. But it really means in inviting people into your life. So here's what happens with some people. Some people, when they're suffering, they just let the whole universe know what kind, know kind of where they're at. Other people, when they're suffering, they withdraw and they retreat and they become very isolated. 
They're home a lot. They don't return your calls or your texts or your emails. They don't really know what's going on. You don't know. They're very isolated. And they've come to the conclusion that someone hurt me, therefore people are dangerous. And I will isolate myself so they cannot hurt me. And the problem is if you isolate yourself from others, others can't help you either. So not only will you avoid pain, you will avoid comfort and healing. This is why he says, the word of God says to you, practice hospitality. So in the midst of your suffering, the devil would like to isolate and separate you from others, get you all on your own. Remember, that's when he tempted Jesus in the wilderness of isolation. But God wants you to practice inviting people into your life. Do I have to? Sounds like grumbling. Yes, because it will be good for you and it will be good for them. And some of us who are by nature introverts thought hospitality was just an option. It's not. It's what God wants for you. For he will send others to help you in your time of need. You've got to be open to that. Sharing your life with others. Hospitable. So what's this grumbling thing about? Complaining. Come on, God. What else is there to do when you're suffering but complain? Have you ever noticed that God never asks us to do easy things? Always hard things. Why is that? Well, he wants us to rely on his strength. Let me ask you, can you do or say the right thing with a sour attitude? Yeah, you can. And you often do. And sometimes we will put this under the guise of truth. We will say something that is truthful, but in a grumbling way. And what happens is when we're suffering and we start grumbling, does God deliver us? Sometimes, but sometimes not. Just ask the Israelites, the most legendary story in the Old Testament about grumbling you heard earlier. Slaves in Egypt, God delivers them, takes them out into the desert on the way to the promised land, gives them food to eat day after day. They complain they want to go back to Egypt. God shows them himself in a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. And God says, just follow me. This sucks. God sucks. I miss Egypt. I don't like this manna. It's terrible. I'm suffering. That's the verbal processing part. Okay, then what happens? God says, this is all a test to see if you'll what? Stop grumbling and follow me. Well, I'll stop grumbling as soon as you get us out of here. God says, no, you need to stop grumbling first. And of course, God delivers them. And what God is not saying is that life isn't hard. He's saying that crumbling doesn't help. It just really doesn't help in the end. And then Peter 
says, love covers a multitude of sins. Wow. This does not mean love turns the other way when it sees sin. That's not what it's saying. He's not saying love covers up evil. He's not saying sin is not to be taken seriously. I want you to think of it this way. Not that love covers the sin, but it covers, especially covers, the sinner. It's like, how many times should I forgive? Peter asked Jesus, and Jesus said, lots, 70 times 7. Peter told us earlier, don't cover up evil. If somebody's stealing or abusing or committing a crime, it's not like, well, the Bible says to hide it. No, it does not. The Bible says to heal it. And to do that, we bring it out. We call that in the church confession. We should never, ever be afraid to confess our sins. And this family is the safest place to do that. Love covers the multitude of sins. How many of you, you've gone through either suffering or sinning, it was a hard season, and then you confided in someone or some person, and they invited a bunch of people to, into the conversation who are not helpful. They weren't part of the solution. They became part of the problem. This is where very dysfunctional family systems, if something happens, the whole family needs to be involved. Well, Sometimes the whole family should not be involved because they're not part of the solution and they become part of the problem. And this is the difference here between secrecy and privacy. Secrecy is something evil, wrong, bad has happened and we're trying to hide it. Cover it up. Not good. Privacy we're going to get this person the help that they need, but we're going to do it only with the people who are helpful. That's the difference between secrecy and privacy. People often air their problems, their suffering, to the wrong people. I'll give you an example. You go to emergency or urgent care, something's not right with you physically, you got a problem. The hospital you go to, where do they start? Where do you start when you walk in? In the waiting room. Aren't you glad they don't come out and say, what's going on? And you say, ah, uh, I got a hernia. They're like, okay, well, let's check it out right here, right now. Here in the waiting room? Does everybody need to be involved? Everybody's like, no, no, we don't want to be involved in that. So what do we do when someone has a physical problem? What really happens? You start in the waiting room, and then they call your name, and they take you into a private room, put a gown on you to make you feel a little better, and then a doctor or a nurse come in, maybe your spouse, maybe a parent if you're a child, the people that are part of the solution, they're the only ones invited in. And that's what he's talking about. Love covers 
the multitude of sins. When brothers and sisters in Christ sin, and they will, and they do, you deal with it quietly because you love each other. We're here to help, but we're not bringing in people who are not going to be part of the solution. And so often in our world, when you think about what you hear in the news and what people are talking about on social media, people are inviting all kinds of other people into their suffering and into their pain. And not always people who are helpful. So as a church, we are a family and we're better together. We need each other to carry one another's burdens. Every one of you Every one of you have been through certain things, experiences that have given you tremendous insights. So what you've been through would really, really help others. And some of you would say, well, sure I've been through lots, but I didn't handle it very well. Even your testimony of your failure would encourage them to do it differently than you did. So you do not need to go through something perfectly to be helpful. You just need to be perfectly honest about how you went through it so you can serve others in your suffering. And most importantly, that's exactly what Jesus did for us. Jesus in his suffering was our servant. So when we're suffering, we need to learn to be servants. Jesus goes to the cross, think about it, and he suffers, and he dies in our place for our sins. Some people ask, well, how do I know that God loves me? Just look at the cross of Jesus. No greater love does anyone have than this, than to lay down their life for their friend. So Jesus calls you friend, and he laid down his life to suffer so that he can have a relationship with you. Our ability to serve in our suffering comes only from Jesus Christ, his salvation for us, and his example to follow. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we confess that right now there's a lot of suffering going on in this world. Some we see very clearly, others we don't see, and it's hidden. There's a lot of suffering going on in our lives. There's a lot of suffering going on in families. There's a lot of suffering going on in businesses. There's just a tremendous amount of suffering and we see so clearly from the words of Peter that ultimately, if we respond to suffering with our sinful nature, we're going to be selfish and hurt people, starting with the people who love us the most. And if we respond in the flesh, we're going to self-destruct and harm ourselves. Lord, right now, people are screaming and yelling at each other. They're name-calling and accusing one another. They're ranting on the internet and dealing with their suffering. There's got to be a better way, and, and there is. Thank you for sending Jesus as our Savior and as our example. 
Send the Holy Spirit to rule and reign in the hearts and lives of all people, people who are suffering. And may he reign in us all so that even if the world is in distress, we can have peace in the Spirit and that we can, in the power and example of Jesus, actually serve even in the midst of our own suffering. Please help us to do this in our lives, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.